Well, good morning and welcome to Christ Church. I am Pete Stearns, our pastor of Family Ministries, and we're so glad that you have joined us, whether it is right here in our auditorium or on our live stream. We are in the middle of a series called Thicker Than Water, in, it, in which we are exploring the connection, the partnership between God and his creation that is formed by the blood of Christ Jesus. And we're doing that by looking at the seven major covenants of the Bible. And when we talk about covenants here, uh, I think there's a little bit of confusion, right? These are not things that we have traditionally studied uh, in our faith development, uh, but they have deep theological meaning. And, and to oversimplify it, covenants in essence are the framework that God uses in order to articulate the boundaries around a thriving life. You see, a covenant is two-sided. On the one hand, in a covenant, God offers us a promise, a blessing, one filled with life and, and enjoyment and fulfillment. And on the other hand, he asks us to commit to uphold certain conditions. But you see, this covenant isn't like a contract because Time and time again, we fail to live up to the conditions of this covenant. And yet throughout the course of human history, God has remained faithful in still fulfilling his promises and his blessings. Covenants are a call to us to lean into the intimate relationship that we have with Christ in a way that produces flourishing and that allows us to embrace more fully the faithful promises of our God. Well, this past spring, Brittany and I were starting to get a little bit of cabin fever, and we had seen something online called the Toddler Candy Challenge. Essentially, this is where parents try to trick their kids uh, so that everyone else will uh, love their video and, and follow it and, and make it viral. And so uh, for us, as we were starting to feel a little stir-crazy with everything with the pandemic, uh, we decided that we would participate. Uh, and so essentially, all that happens is that you put candy in front of your toddler and you tell them, while I am not here, uh, you can't eat any of this candy. I've got to go and do something. And then when I come back, you can eat it. And you set up kind of a hidden camera here to film their reaction during this time. So Brittany and I, we set up our iPhone on a little tripod and we hit it, hit it be, behind a, a stack of books there. And, and we went to Shepherd and we set some, some fruit snacks in front of him and we explained to him uh, what he needed to do, the condition that he needed to meet in order to receive the promise of these fruit snacks. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to show this. It's, it's normally a five-minute video, but we cut out about four minutes of the suspense here. Um, but one thing that's really important for you to know is my son loves to play make-believe. And so over and over, he refers to my wife as Miss Martha, who was our neighbor. And so he's just pretending that Brittany is Miss Martha, but indeed is actually his mom. So let's turn our attention to the screen and see how Shepard does. Um, I'm going to give you these fruit snacks, but you have to wait until I come back. I'm going to go potty real quick. I will not eat one. You won't eat them? No. Okay. So I'm going to put them right here, but you can't have any of them until I get back, okay? I will not eat them. Okay. I 
promise. You promise? Yeah. Okay. I promise, Miss Waffle. I won't eat one, Miss Mommy. Waffle, I promise. Okay, I'll be right back. I'm just going to go to the bathroom, okay? Okay, I promise I will not eat one. Okay, thank you. The fruit snacks, they're so beautiful. You see, the benefit of playing a video like this is now for the next 20 minutes of the sermon, it doesn't matter what I say, all you're going to remember is that. Um, I was pretty proud of Shepard for abstaining and, and, and upholding his end of the condition, but as we had watched quite a few of these, uh, not so many kids were that fortunate. And, and you can't help as you watch these viral videos to feel a little bit bad for these toddlers. Right, Because their parents have set themselves up for failure. The parents are hoping that the kid will grab that candy and eat it because it will make for a better video. They feel almost cruel at a certain level. Well, our first covenant bears some of the distinct markings of this kind of cruel trap that God has set for his creation. And, and as we look at something called the Edenic Covenant, we're going to begin to understand more in depth how it is not indeed actually a sinister trap, but instead it's a framework for a fulfilled life. Now, the Edenic Covenant seems a little bit complicated, but really all it means is Edenic made in Eden, right? This is the covenant that God makes to Adam and Eve at the beginning of creation. And so uh, after God has created everything in this world, he has poured out his spirit upon it. it. It is his masterpiece. He then turns to Adam and Eve and he says this in verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. So here in the very first chapter of the Bible, God establishes the promise that he will be faithful to, the first half of this covenant. God says, I have created all of this. I have made you in my image. And he articulates 
how he will join together in relationship with humanity to partner in stewarding after and ruling over all that has been created. You see, this promise articulates not just a gift of things and stuff, but instead a gift of relationship, of inviting his creation, his children, to walk alongside him in ruling sovereign over all that has been created. How many of us came from homes in which our parents liked to put things on shelves that had significant meaning to them and they would point at those and say to us, you can look, but do not touch. How many of us as parents have told our children uh, when we're looking at something particularly meaningful that they can look, but not touch? You see, when we have something valuable to us, our temptation is to make sure that nothing messes with it, nothing messes it up, that we can behold it, but we can't break it. And God, to the contrary, creates the most valuable thing that one could possibly imagine, all of creation, and he turns over and hands it to Adam and Eve, who he knows full well are going to break it. And yet he says, touch everything except this one tree. This one tree, God draws a line around. He creates a boundary around this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it is in this tree that we find the condition that pairs with the promise to make this covenant. And so we turn back again into Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And I want to pause here in this verse because uh, something I want to remind us of is that the translation between Hebrew and English is a little bit clunky. These two languages uh, have some significant discrepancies in their linguistic form. And so anytime we translate a language like that to a language like English, there are nuances that are lost in translation. And so in this verse, we see two of these nuances that we lose. So first, we read in English that God puts Adam and Eve and all of humanity into the garden. And we think of this as, as a location, as a physical placement of Adam and Eve. He takes them, he moves them, he puts them in this one spot. But throughout the rest of scripture, this word that is translated here as put refers to resting in the safety of God, to resting in the protection of a sovereign God. And so as we read this verse now, suddenly it says, God draws Adam and Eve and humanity into a rest that's found in the protection of the presence of God. And then second, it says that he is to work it and care for it. And again, we now think of manual labor, that Adam and Eve are, are, are the garden keepers for God. They're doing the, the nitty gritty, the, the, the ground level work here. But really, this more frequently throughout scripture is interpreted as worshipful obedience, and so again, God is capturing this first element of the covenant. He is saying that I have created all of this world for you. I'm drawing you into relationship with me, a relationship that produces rest and not anxiety as you think about caring for all of the earth. I'm stressed out enough caring for two kids. Uh, and, and then he says, also it draws you into my protection so that you might worshipfully enter into obedience in this relationship. And so it's, it's within this statement 
that God then says in verse 16, and the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. That feels a little uncomfortable. To me, that that almost feels petty and, and vindictive. That feels like a viral video challenge that, that God knows humanity will fail, but the consequences of failure are so much greater than the consequences of eating a fruit snack prematurely. You see, if Shepard was deathly allergic to those fruit snacks, my wife and I would not have participated in this challenge. In fact, if those fruit snacks would have sent Shepard into an anaphylactic shock, I would have done everything in my power to eradicate fruit snacks and any trace of them from my home. Why? Because I care deeply about the life of my child. And yet God places the fruit snacks right in front of Adam and Eve recognizing that if they are to touch them, they will die. It feels sinister. It feels like a trap. Like a God that is vindictive and not loving. But as I've studied this more deeply... I've begun to recognize and understand that the Edenic covenant is indeed not a trap. It is not what it actually appears on the surface level, but instead, it is a sophisticated framework for a life of fulfillment and a remarkable expression of God's love for you and I and Adam and Eve. I, probably like many of you, have watched a little bit too much television during this quarantine. How many of us have exhausted Netflix at this point? Yeah, yeah, I'm getting into trouble now because there's literally no more television to watch. And so over the past couple of months, my wife and I have begun to have to think creatively about how we will occupy our evenings not being able to go out and not having any quality television to enjoy. And so in talking with our pastor, Eric Haskins, uh, he has gotten us excited about board games. Eric is kind of one of these board game nuts, and he knows every game, and, and he'll, he'll fit one with you based on your Enneagram type. You know, he is one of these guys that is a good resource. So if you're looking for something, go to Eric. He's going to help you out. And we've gotten into board games, but not board games that we grew up with, like Monopoly or Uno, or if you're more my speed, Candyland. Uh, instead, these are, these are complicated board games. These are strategy games. They're called engine builders. And, and they have uh, just these, uh, these incredible pieces. And so recently, my wife and I purchased a game called Wingspan. And, and it came highly recommended from Eric and some of our other friends over at Fair Game. And, and so we got it. And, and when you pick up that board game, man, it feels like it's got some substance to it. It's like 10 pounds. And you open it up and it is just filled with different tokens and cards and game boards. And each one of these elements has been carefully crafted uh, to just be so aesthetically pleasing. 
You pull out, the game board is just filled with vibrant color. It makes sense. It lines up. Uh, the dice are, are carved out of wood. The, the, the elements are, are just these pleasing little pieces that you have uh, to place on the board in front of you. And, and then the most stunning element of it all are the playing cards because there are 170 uniquely illustrated works of art. This is a picture of my wife and I uh, playing this game the other day. They have recruited a team of artists to carefully paint 170 unique birds onto these cards, each one intricately designed. And so as you open the game, you just look at it and you say, this is something I'm going to love. But the reality is, is that the pieces, the cards, the board, the dice, they're not what make this game one of my favorites. You see, just in and of themselves, there's something to look at, but they quickly lose their allure. Instead, what brings substance to this game is its fairly complicated rules. It comes with two rule books to help explain the game to you. And as you carefully study the rules slowly, the game comes to life. The first time you play it, it's just about trying to, to learn the ropes, just to figure it out. The second time, you're starting to understand some nuances. But the more and more you play it, the more clear the boundaries become. And suddenly, the game is filled with meaning and substance and fun. You see, we all know that playing a game with, with somebody that constantly changes the rules is no fun. Those boundaries create a framework, not that suppress us, but instead allow us to enjoy each and every element of it. Well, the same is said here in the Edenic Covenant. God draws this line around the tree he makes a boundary, but you see, that boundary drawn around the tree has absolutely nothing to do with the tree. This is not a tree that God's like, this is my favorite tree and I don't want anyone messing with it. Okay, the boundary that God draws around this tree is a boundary that God has drawn around our relationship with him. It is a boundary that says, I, as your sovereign creator, Understand the boundaries, the lines needed for you to flourish. It is a boundary that calls us to trust that our God knows best. That our God cares deeply for us. That our God wants to draw us in to a flourishing life. You see, that boundary is not about a tree. That boundary has been drawn around sin. And sin at its very core is the decision to choose my way rather than God's. You see, as we read this Edenic covenant, we recognize that God is establishing from the very beginning of time that a life free from sin, a life in relationship with him is a life that provides flourishing, and that by upholding these boundaries, we are actually given freedom rather than suppression. But you see, the second key component 
of this covenant is that those lines, that boundary that has been drawn not only gives us a framework for life, but also it is one of the greatest gifts of love that our God has ever bestowed upon us. You see, the the classic play, Romeo and Juliet, has some insights into the underpinnings of love. It is one that is familiar to all of us. It is a story of transcendent romance that we still enjoy to this day. But the reason that this story sticks out to us is because in its time, it was controversial. You see, love and marriage at the time that Romeo and Juliet was written were not expressions of a feeling, were not expressions of freedom, but instead they were a utilitarian tool for your own personal gain. Those marriages maybe brought about political advantage or societal status. Marriage was a tool to self-preservation, to make sure that you could put food on the table, that you could care for your family. Marriage had nothing to do with butterflies. It had everything to do with personal gain and protection. And so Romeo and Juliet, who coming from very different sides of society, find each other and fall in love and push back against the norms of these arranged marriages intended for personal gain and instead are willing to risk everything, to risk their status, their perception, their family, and their very lives. Because just to taste a moment of love in that free choice is worth it. You see, love at its very core comes to life in the freedom of our choice. Love is fragile because you and I can either accept or deny it. We can affirm or reject it. And God, in this covenant, by placing that tree there, by drawing a boundary around it, has given us that choice. You see, if God had eliminated the tree, sure, he would have protected our lives. He would not have allowed sin to have entered into the world, but God, by drawing that, gave us the freedom to choose God's love, to choose to enter into relationship with him rather than to be forced in it by the very confines of a world created to eliminate choice. When we understand the tree as a gesture of intimacy and affection, we get, begin to understand that our God deeply desires connection with us, so much so that he is willing to let it go. Well, we all know how the story ends. In Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve listen to the whispers of the snake in the garden, the whispers that tell them that they shouldn't trust God. The whispers that tell them that actually, they might actually know better than God. 
The whispers that tell them to cross that boundary because on the other side of that boundary is actually a more fulfilling life. And upon hearing that temptation, they decide to take life into their own hands. They take the fruit and they eat of it. And immediately darkness and sin and brokenness come flooding into the world. You see, as we read Genesis 3, oftentimes we assume that this is a punishment for Adam and Eve's behaviors. But instead, as as we closely study the text, it becomes potentially evident that, that this is just the natural consequence of choosing sin. That death is not a punishment, but rather that death is the unintended effect of the cause of choosing our own way rather than God's. But still, as God shares with them what will happen, the brokenness, the pain, the toil, the sweat, the thistles and thorns that have grown out of the ground, the impact of their decision, the impact of their decision to cross the line, he also weaves in a promise. And again, affirms that even though we as human beings will fall short of the conditions of the covenant, God will still remain faithful. He says in verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the snake, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God in that verse articulates a plan to redeem the covenant. That through the offspring of Eve, will come a savior that will stomp out sin in the world and again, renew those boundaries, that framework, that choice for you and I. And so as we understand this covenant today, this is not a history lesson. Instead, it is a reminder that we too have been invited into this relationship. We too are free to choose to walk in the boundaries that God has set forth for us in this book or to instead choose our own way. C.S. Lewis says it this way. Human history is the long and terrible story of humans trying to find something other than God which will make them happy. The reality is that you and I and many others have quite a few game pieces at our disposal. We have a lot of cards in our hand. And we hear the whisper of the snake in our ear that tells us just one more card, just one more piece, and then you'll be happy. And then you'll be fulfilled only to find as we accrue more pieces and more cards that that hole in our life, the hole that seeks fulfillment and meaning just grows larger and larger and larger. You see, Jesus says that that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man into heaven. And I think what he means there is it is difficult 
when you have all the pieces at your disposal, to trust that if you lay them down before God, if you lay your riches, your blessing, your status, your skills, your strengths, your passions, your talents before God, that he can actually use them for a flourishing life, not only for you, but for the rest of his kingdom, his church, his people, and his children. But God isn't going to force you to show him your hand. God, in his love, allows you to make that choice yourself. And the question we are left with today is, am I willing to surrender my life, to trust that God will hold me capably in the rest and the protection of his presence so that I can worshipfully obey him in a way that produces flourishing and redemption in a fallen world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are a God that has created boundaries for us, not because those boundaries restrict us and oppress us, but instead that those boundaries usher us into life and life in its fullest. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that released your grip on your beloved and created a way for us to choose to accept or deny your love. Lord, we pray today as a church with a hand filled with cards that we would lay them down before you, that we would surrender ourselves, trusting wholeheartedly that you care deeply about us and that your ways are greater than ours. We pray this in your name. Amen.